You pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there something here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. Hey, when I say golden calf, Uh what do you think of? Oh, it's bad. It's bad. How bad? It's very bad. We know that. Yes, we do. (laughs) Well, we probably don't know how bad, so today we're going to look at the golden calf in Exodus today on (laughs) More Than Ink. That was really bad. Well, good morning, one and all. This is Jim. And this is Dorothy. And uh, we're glad you're with us today. We hope you've been following with us as we've been going through the book of Exodus. And uh, a great story that starts with leaving leaving Egypt and then establishing the nation out in the desert. And just to recap a little bit, we have been at the top of Mount Sinai with Moses and God for quite some time. And 40 today, days. 40 days. And today we come down. If you want to see the beginning of that, where he went up, that's Exodus 24. So since then, this has been a conversation between God and Moses about how the nation was going to go and some of the rules, like, you know, the 10 Well, words. not just some of the rules, <laughs> the complete statement yeah. of God's character and what he expects from his people. And how this newly birthed nation is going to operate, especially with God at the center of right. this nation. as a people so, who live in his name. So that has been the discussion at the top of Mount Sinai yeah. with Moses, and now he comes down from that to discover things have not gone quite as well. Well, God said to him, oh, we're done here, you better go down. You better go down, yeah. And <laughs> And, you know, I just it just dawned on me. I, I remember back that when he went up, uh, God God said, "Don't worry about this. If something comes up down at the bottom where the people are, oh, Aaron yeah. and her, they'll take care they'll of it. They'll take care of it. Boy, did they take care ha. of it. Yeah. So today we come down. We come to a very famous passage in Exodus." The golden calf. And it's funny because everybody, even people who've never read the Bible, uh, know this reference. They exactly. know, they, all you have to say exactly. is, well, the golden calf. And the golden whatever that calf. comes to mind probably came out of the movies somewhere. Yeah. But this is a very familiar story. They know it's story. not good. Yeah, very familiar. So let's just get into this familiar story. That's the context. That's where we are. And uh, Moses is carrying these great two stones with the Ten Commandments etched on there, written by the finger of God himself. And we hit chapter 32. So if you want to follow with us, that's where we are. You want to read for us? Yeah, verse I one? will. 32, so, one. when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Hmm. Do you want to stop there for yeah. a second? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so, like, what? So what's their problem? Well, Moses has been gone a long time. Well, 40 and, days and nights. And they and they probably feel like, well, maybe the jig is up. Maybe yeah. Moses is gone. I mean, he, after all, the top of the mountain's got fire on it. Maybe he's dead and God has forgotten us and right. who knows what's going on. So right. we're going to start from scratch. So they ask Aaron to make God for them. But isn't it interesting how they refer to Moses? This mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. This man. <laughs> this he's the guy. one that brought us out of Egypt. Yeah. Well, you know what? Moses didn't do that. 
Yeah. God did that. God did that. As for this Moses, it's actually, I looked into that. It's kind of a rough way of talking about Moses. It's not respectful it, of all. It is. It's totally disrespectful. Yeah. This man who brought us out of the land. And like you say, he's not the one who brought him out of the land. God did. And he's very clear about this. But but at the end of that verse one, we do not know what has become of him. So they haven't seen him yet. When, even though he had already told them, I'm going up to God and I'll come mm-hmm. back to you. Right. And he had done that a handful of times already. Yeah, that's but right. But this is a longer stretch. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. In fact, I went back and checked it. I said that chapter 24 is where he goes up on the mountain. And on 24, uh, it, it turns out he says, I'm going to go up. God says, come up to me on the mountain. Wait there that I might give you the tablets of stone, the law, the commandments, you know, all that kind of stuff. Takes Joshua up, up with him. And then and then chapter 24, verse 18, Moses entered the cloud, went up the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So, But they had already, I mean, Moses had already gone up and and gotten words from God and brought them yes. back down. The people had already pledged, yes. not just once, but twice. Uh, yes, Everything right. the Lord says, we will do. <laughs> they said it back in chapter 19, and they said yep. it again at this huge covenant ceremony in chapter 24, right before Moses yeah. went up. All the words God's given us, right. we will do. And they did actually already have, in verbal form, the mm-hmm. Ten Commandments mm-hmm. yeah. before this writing on stone month on the mountain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... Their words didn't really, you know, their their promise didn't, didn't last very long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's read on. Let's go on. Verse 2. They, they corner Aaron. So verse 2. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Mm. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. Mm. And they said... These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So wait a second. What is with Aaron? Wasn't this gold meant for another purpose? Well... Yeah, this yeah. is only a little bit of gold. This is just their earrings. <laughs> yeah. But. <laughs> but yeah, back, I remember in chapter 25, he says, you know, this gold and a whole bunch of other stuff. I mean, I had to go back and look, speak to the people of Israel uh, and take a contribution. Uh, every man, you know, what, what moves him. And they, he said, bring uh, gold and silver and bronze and went on for several verses, right. you know, and right. at the end of that section in, in 25.8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their right. midst. So this is where this is supposed to go. It's not supposed to go into a golden calf. Well, and he had already told them back in chapter 19, now, you shall have no other gods before me. Mm-hmm. You shall mm-hmm. not make any graven images or worship or sacrifice Very before clear them. About it's pretty that. clear. And Very they had said, clear. yep, we will or we won't. Yeah, yeah. Very clear. So... So what do you make of Aaron oh, going along with this? Boy, is this troubling or what? <laughs> the question that rises in my mind is if, you know, way back in chapter four, when Moses had huh. said, Lord, I don't speak, send somebody else. Right, right. If Moses had not refused God's assignment at the very beginning, when God said, okay, I'll send your brother Aaron, and you're going to be the voice of God to mm-hmm, him, and mm-hmm. he's going to speak for you. If Moses had not been hesitant and disobedient at that point would this have happened 
Well, it makes you wonder. It really does. But, but it does it does make you understand why God didn't put Aaron as the chief oh, of this whole thing. I mean, yes. Aaron's the older brother. Right. So, and that should have been the case. Right. But clearly Aaron here is not leading. I mean, a real leader in this case would say, no. you know, he'd raise his hand and say, "No, don't do this horrible thing." He's he's very easily manipulated. He is totally by bamboozled by the people. Yeah, he just he just goes along with them. Uh, I you know, Moses wouldn't put up with this, but Aaron does. Well, and it's very specific in verse for that he received the gold yeah. he fashioned it with a graving tool he made the mm. golden calf and then they said ah now this is a god we can worship yeah. right and then when Aaron saw their response to it then he builds an altar and tells him okay tomorrow we're going to offer sacrifice like a priest like, would right okay but in a bad context <laughs> but it's totally a god of the people's making yes Yes. After after what they wanted. So he made the calf, but they anointed it God. Yeah. And he went along yeah. with it. He well, went along with it. He let him do it. Yeah. In fact, it's funny that he he should he should have made the calf and then brought it out and said, "Behold your God" or something like that. He doesn't. He just makes it and they declare it God. Ooh, and well, then he goes along with it. Why does he make it? Because he knew the commandment as well. Yeah, I I don't know. It's it's hard it's hard to explain. Uh, I, he was cornered. Yeah. Well, you know, it, and a weak leader. It, it it brings me back to the fact that there's, you know, you need to beware the voice of the majority many times. Mm. Just because everyone's saying it doesn't mean it's right. I mean, as a single man standing out, he should have resisted it, but he didn't, and he just went along with the crowd. And then, and then once they accepted his what he made, which there might have been a little bit of ego involved with that. Hey, nice calf, huh? Yeah, okay. Now let's make an altar. It's yeah. it's he's really wrapped up in a horrible way in terms of abetting what they did. Well, and I'm thinking back again to chapter four when God says to Moses, "Now he's going to be the voice. You're going to be the voice of the Lord to him, and he's mm-hmm. going to be the voice to the people." Mm-hmm. And uh, and here, in the absence of Moses's voice, he just makes his own call. He listens to the voice. He of listens the to the people. people. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a bad deal. That's a bad deal. So when they have their party. <laughs> oh, when they sit down to eat and drink and they rise up to play. Yeah. That is a riotous, drunken, m- mocking, sporting yeah. orgy. Well, it's, yeah, there's a lot of sex that's in that word play right there. It's a drunken orgy is what it is. It's an unrestrained right. celebration of immoral activity. There we go. Thank you for that very specific <laughs> that's, description. That's what it is. But this lack of restraint is what just really blows me away. Well, I mean, that's what comes just, up when Moses judges it later. Yes. He says, because Aaron had let him get out of control. That's right. It, it's just it's just crazy kind of stuff. You know, and this made me think this is a slight detour, but if you, if you go back to the separation of Israel when it turned into the Southern Kingdom and the Northern Kingdom, you know, Solomon oh, dies. Oh, that's hundreds of years in the future from yeah, here. Yeah, well, it turns out that, that it turns out when you get to that point, uh, remember there's two competing kings. There's a king in the South, a right. king in the North. The king in the North... Jeroboam, he basically says, look, you know, we got to do something to keep people from going down to that temple. Right. So what we need to do is make ourselves some golden calves. And we're going to make, we're going to make two, right. two golden calves. We'll put one in the far north of the kingdom and one in the far south of the kingdom. And that'll keep people from feeling like they got to go down to Jerusalem, right. which is in the southern kingdom. So he makes two golden calves. And at that point, Jeroboam, this nasty king of the north, says, when the two, two calves are presented, he says the same thing. Right. This Here's is the gods. God that brought yeah. you out of Egypt. 
it's blasphemy. It's bla- because all through the Old Testament, God reminds Israel, I'm the God that brought yeah. you out of Egypt. It's just total blasphemy. Oh, oh. Yeah. Well, that's, again, the people say, well, we don't know what happened to the guy that brought us out of Egypt. Right. Well, there's still smoke and fire on the mountain. Yeah, right, well, <laughs> right. And in fact, the, the issue isn't whether Moses is gone. The issue is, is, is God, is God gone? gone? And, yeah. and so what they're really saying is the guy that got about us out of Egypt has abandoned us out here. Now, there, there's some commentaries that say that they didn't, they didn't um, take their worship of God and just place it on a replica, you know, this calf, that the calf from Aaron's perspective was an addition to God, like the calf was just a visible. Oh, that's I don't possible. Know, I don't know if I go for that totally. But uh, but they I mean they worship the calf. Come on, they worship the calf. And by the way, when you think of calf in your mind, don't think of a newborn calf. What they would think of is a young strapling calf, like a three year old calf. The three year old mark is used in, a lot in its strength. Yeah, new young strength, right. virile strength. So that's that's what we're seeing. Well, let's move on. Verse seven. I'll, I'll read from okay. here. And the Lord said to Moses, "Go down, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves." That's an interesting mm-hmm. phrase. Verse eight. And they've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, "These are your gods, O Israel." Plural gods. Yes, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. There's that blasphemy. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. (laughs) Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. You. What? Well, that ought to get our attention. That should get our attention. But I I, I roll back to that. They've corrupted themselves, which is a fascinating phrase Mm -hmm. because it's not as though Aaron corrupted them. They have corrupted themselves. And that just that brings up a whole host of scriptures in my mind about how you can be led off into doing your own thing and thinking that your own thing is your best for you and it's the freedom you've looked for. And certainly it's, you know, if I thought of it, it must be good for me. And it's not. They corrupted themselves. In the absence of God's influence, they corrupted themselves. And it happened in the turning aside yes. from the God they knew, the God who had brought them out. Yeah to worshiping something of their own creation of their own creation so it's a totally man-made god and as you can see back in verse six it's it's Mm self-destructive even so what they've gone off to is not good for them so by way of talking about restraint we'll get to this later in the chapter as well it's it's an interesting thing that um this kind of self-restraint is a good thing for us because what it does is it restrains an innate uh, sinfulness that's inside mm-hmm. of us, which is actually bent on our own destruction. And you see that happening right here. Also, it says in, in verse nine, there are stiff necked people. Yeah. <laughs> phrase stubborn. We, stubborn. Yeah. We don't use this phrase much, but it, but if you get the picture of an ox or a horse that's got a rope in its mouth to steer it left and right, you actually pull its neck to the left, pull its neck to the right. That's what stiff necked is. An animal that can't be steered left or right. They're a stiff neck and they can't be steered. So, so he's saying that they, you know, they set up for what they wanted to do and this is what they're doing. They're a stiff necked people. And I might, I might mention also in passing, if you want to read a little commentary on the stiff neckness, go to Deuteronomy 9. Oh, I have right. that noted all yeah, over the write place. Write that down someplace <laughs> because it's an interesting commentary by Moses himself. And, uh, and it starts off, you know, with God saying, you are a stubborn people and it ends with you are a stubborn people. But he, he really starts off by saying, you know, I didn't bring you out of Egypt because you're a great people. 
No, you're a stubborn right. people. Right. So, in fact, we're seeing it happen right. Yeah, read that, Deuteronomy 9. You will laugh when you read this. Well, we'll get to that, I think, yeah. next week. But yeah. we really need to press on. Okay. Because what the Lord has just said to Moses is, I'm going to transfer all the promises I made to this people. Yes. And bring them to fruition through you. Which you could do. He could, God he could, could be do like, that. He could be like a new Abraham in a way. But well, that's important because yeah. that's where Moses is going to go when he implores the Lord and appeals to God yeah. on the basis of God's own promises His and promises. character. So we need to read on. Yeah, let's do so, that. Because Moses intercedes before he ever even sees the reality. Yeah. Just, just on the basis of what God let's just told him. Let's intercede, Moses. Verse so 11. in verse 11, Moses implored the Lord his God and said, Oh, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Mm. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Yes, yeah, so Moses invokes the promise. Well, yeah, the appeal that Moses makes to God, I was thinking about what basis does he appeal to God? Because mm -hmm. he hasn't yet seen the reality of what the people have been no, doing. No, not face to face. But he emphasizes, God, these aren't my people. These are your mm -hmm. people, right? Mm -hmm. You brought them out. He emphasizes God's reputation. Yeah. And if you remember back in chapter 9, he, God had said to Pharaoh, now I'm letting you remain so that you can see my power and make my right. name known. Right? right. So he appeals to him on, on the basis of God's reputation. Yeah. And then on the basis of God's promise to Abraham. Mm -hmm. He says, mm -hmm. don't go back on your promise to Abraham. Right. Which is why I said Moses would become a new Abraham. Right. Well, that would violate the promise to Abraham. To Abraham. Yeah. I mean, technically you could do it because Moses comes <laughs> from Abraham, but still, you know what I mean. Yeah. So God, in response to Moses' intercession, says twice, he relents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He takes a deep breath and turns another direction. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and I might add, you know, we talked about God's reputation, and mm -hmm. uh, he uses a good argument. You know, what are the Egyptians going to say? Right. That, that you took them out of Egypt just to kind of wipe them out in the desert? I mean, what will they say about about right. God, not about the people? Right. And I, it recalls to mind several times I've read in the Old Testament where God says, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for my name. For my name's His sake. His reputation. Yeah. yeah. And that's what he's saying, because I, you know, I, I don't want people to speak poorly of me because my heart needs to be reflected here. And in relenting this calamity, you're seeing a God who is long-suffering, and you know right and he actually turns toward compassion toward for compassion his people. yeah and and in a real sense he brought them out of egypt not because they were a stellar people to start with i mean he, <laughs> he brought them out because right. he had promised abraham he would right and so here he brings them out of egypt um and it's to totally based on grace it's not based on merit on their part and here they fail and again we come back to grace not merit on their part so the promise is fulfilled and it and it goes forward and God's glory is still preserved. And so that's a good thing. I might point out just a little technicality before we get off verse 14. The Lord relented. If you're reading out of King James, it's a poor translation. Yeah. Because I, I pulled it up to see the translation in King James for verse 14 says, And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. 
That's not a good translation because he didn't repent of the, any evil. Repentance comes as a result. Source, the source of it is sin, and then you repent. So that's just a poor translation. I would just encourage you, if you're really stuck on the King James, you know, always compare modern translations as well. You'll find that all the modern translations say he relented, which means he changed his mind, which actually is the core idea of repentance anyway, when you change your mind, but not because of sin. God didn't relent, didn't repent because of any sin. So just, I just want to throw that in before we go on, because that's a super important point when we talk about Bible translations. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. That is important. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just don't want to. We need to press on. We need to press on. Okay. <laughs> Time's a wasted. Oh, so and verse fifteen. Goes so fast. Okay, I'll read from here. Verse fifteen. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back. They were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Oh, and Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted. He said to Moses, hey, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, but it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but it's the sound of singing that I hear. And we're going to stop there too. Well, now they're puzzled. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Joshua was somewhere halfway up the mountain. He didn't go all the way to the top with Moses. He, he helped and he's somewhere halfway. So as he meets Moses coming down, he says, you know, there's something going on down there. Of course, Moses knows what's going on down there because God has told him. But what perplexes Joshua is if it's a war sound, I don't hear victory or defeat sounds. I'm hearing like party. Party, it's a party. sounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was really confused. He's, he's, he's really not in the loop like Moses has been talking to God while he's been up there. Okay, let's talk about the tablets, because yeah. it's a good Bible study technique to notice when something is repeated, mm-hmm, repeated, mm-hmm. repeated, repeated. So tablets, tablets, tablets. And each time we get the word tablet here, there's something mm-hmm. added to it. The tablets of the testimony, the tablets written on both yes, sides, yes. the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was engraved on the tablets. Yes. And Moses is coming down the mountain carrying these things, the testimony the work of God and the writing of God engraved on these tablets. Yeah. yeah. Well, Paul yeah. says in 2 Corinthians 3 that in, under the new covenant, the, the writing of God is not on tablets of stone, mm-hmm. but on tablets of the living human heart. Human heart, yeah, yeah. So, you know, here we have the original covenant written on this cold, inflexible surface. Right, right. But it foreshadows the day when God will write on our living hearts and implant his spirit within us so yeah. that we will will have his law within us. And we talked about that last yeah. week in Jeremiah 31. Yeah. But yeah. I just wanted to point you out, point out to you that this idea of being written on a tablet. It's been recorded, it's been written down, it's God's effort, it's God's doing. And it's written by his own hand. It's something very physical for them to see, too. It's an accommodation to them, saying, look, this is what God says we need to do. Here's the 10 words, the 10 commandments. Well, and ultimately, it's going to be placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, yeah. It'll have a permanent presence with them. But but it's God's way of saying, I'm not just blowing hot air here. I wrote them down on a stone contract of sorts that can't be destroyed. Um, Well, it's interesting on both sides. On both sides. Right. Because if you're going to engrave something in that age, so you would plunk that stone down and work on the one side. But in order to turn it over and write on the other side, that's a significant piece of work. Yeah. But with something written in stone, 
Mm-hmm. It's important. We still use that expression, don't we? Yeah, it's super duper important. Engraved on the tablet. It's lasting. Yeah, it's, it's lasting. You can't change it, and there you don't make mistakes. Right, and it and it does yield kind of a weight to the mm-hmm. the importance of those well, things. Well, literally a weight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, is is a is a strange. Uh, wonder. I've always wondered what happened to the pieces that we'll find it turns into in the next chat, in the next part of the chapter. Oh, we're going to know exactly what happens. Yeah, to Yeah, that's right. So we're going to see that because <laughs> even though it's written in stone, uh, something happens. And if you know the story, he breaks it into pieces. He throws it. Well, yeah. and we're going to read it into the next, yeah. and next week we'll so, talk about that. So you'll want to stay tuned and come back and hear about that. Or read because, ahead. Or, or you can read ahead. You just start <laughs> off in verse 19 and you, you can go forward from there. So I, I think what's fascinating as we sort of wrap up this first section in chapter 32 is, is Moses' role through all of this. Um, you know, why did God allow the people of Israel to go through this delay time, this 40 days, mm-hmm. knowing that they, would, that they would go astray? God, this is not a surprise to right, God. it's not a God. surprise to him. But what's interesting is to ask yourself, what has been the benefit to Moses in his growth and mm-hmm. change as he's seen this? Yes. He has the front row seat. He's the one who's being changed as a result of this. Well, the Israel is too, and Aaron will too. But Moses... Moses suddenly now is going to be thinking more and more like God when we talk about the issues of sin and having God at the center of the community. He's he's understanding that this is like not just important, it's super important. So he's you'll see him shifting. And when we go into the second half of his chapter, you'll see him shift even more to be thinking just like God. And I think that's that's the important takeaway from what you see in this debacle. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that, what we see about Moses. That God foresaw, yeah. But I think what do we see about the people they have a very short, very selective memory. Yeah. And that they corrupted themselves by turning aside yeah. from the God who had so clearly demonstrated his power and his purpose for them. Yeah. And worshiped a God of their own making. And and, and the fact that he was always on their side. He's the one that got them out of right. Egypt. He's the one that freed them. Right. So why would they question that, his ability? I mean, did he fail now and he's not going to take us any further after right. he's parted the Red Sea and done all that stuff? Is God going to fail now? Well, it exposes the shallowness of their faith in this God and also the, the, the huge corruption that they take with them in their hearts. Mm-hmm. They're still carrying Egypt in their hearts. Exactly. And they we never want a God we can it. see. Yeah, that's right. We, we don't want, want this God see. that's just thunder and smoke on the mountain. Exactly. And so their biggest problem, their biggest enemy is not really Egypt anymore. It's themselves. Mm-hmm. And so we see all these changes coming about here. So this debacle has has some upsides to it. God allows it to happen for good reasons, but it's it's horrendous nonetheless. Well, we want you to come back next week. Uh, we'll, we'll look at the second half of this chapter and the confrontation when Moses has an eye-to-eye face-off with the people and with Aaron. And with Aaron. Yeah, yeah. so come back next week on More, More Than, Than Ink. Ink. Than Ink is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City and is solely responsible for its content. To contact us with your questions or comments, just go to our website, morethaninc.org. I thought it was I thought it was natural. It was natural. That's what that was. <laughs>